Welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Wes McAdams. Today we have a little bit different kind of an episode for you. I recently did an interview with Logan Judy, uh, the host of the Wise Disciple Podcast, and we talked about all kinds of interesting things, ministry, the church, some of the things we struggle with today in the church, uh, biblical literacy. We talked about culture and sort of our divided and partisan culture and how we navigate that as followers of Jesus. And I thought you would enjoy that conversation. So if you enjoy this conversation, uh, then go over and check out the Wise Disciple podcast. Subscribe to their podcast as well. I think they're putting out some great content. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Wise Disciple Podcast, where we're all about helping you become the effective Christian you were meant to be. So some of you may recall that on this podcast, I talk a lot, and um, our guests have also talked a lot too, about the need to be really invested in local community, that the internet is not a local church, um, that we are not your local church, even though we hope we're providing something valuable, and it's important to think about local community and be invested in it um, at your local church. And so it's important, I think, that we have um, not just a um, sort of global perspective where we might be distracted by whatever the latest controversy is, but that we're invested in what um, sort of real issues are on the ground. In order to make sure that we're getting an accurate perspective on that, I like to every once in a while um, invite on a local minister to talk about um, sort of the issues that they are seeing in their local churches. So that's what I'm doing today. So I'm going to be talking with um, Wes McAdams. Wes is the uh, preaching minister at the McDermott Road Church of Christ in Plano, Texas. He also writes a blog at radicallychristian.com, and he co-hosts a Bible study podcast associated with that blog, which digs into theological questions, but also hermeneutics and church culture. Wes, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, brother. So I want to start um, sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, at the beginning. So I I'm curious sort of um, what your story is in terms of what brought you into full-time ministry in the first place and uh, where you are now specifically in Plano, Texas, and just kind of your story in general. Yeah. Um, well, I I intended to do mission work. Um, the the thing. And when I say mission work, I, I consider myself a missionary in a sense, uh, but I, I intended to do traditional mission work. I, I was at a world evangelism conference and they were talking about the population of the world. I was in high school and my preacher had taken me to this conference and they were talking about the population of the world. I think at the time it had clicked over 7 billion and, and how few of those people were Christians and I just realized the the global need for preaching the gospel, and realized that I was equipped to do very little else than uh, than share my faith. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of things that I was interested in outside of that. There wasn't a whole lot that I was talented in, and and I thought, you know, if if not me, then who? And and so I really got passionate about going into some sort of ministry. And after high school, I did. Uh, I was a youth intern and and got into youth ministry and. And that that kind of 
it kept me for a while. I kept trying to break out of the youth ministry paradigm and kept getting sucked back in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, eventually I, I started preaching full time. And that's what I've been doing for the last, I don't know, 10 or 11 years now. And um, here in Plano and, and really, really enjoying that and, and really uh, feel passionate about preaching. Excellent. So I want to ask you about um, the youth ministry stuff in particular. I, I had not realized that that's kind of where you started. Um, and um, that's something I'm very interested in. One of the previous um, episodes that we did was actually with um, a youth minister, um, a friend of mine named uh, Andrew Warrens, who's at a church in um Oh, shoot. Andrew's going to remind me that I got this wrong. I think it's in Oklahoma, but I could be wrong about that. Um, so I wonder if maybe we can start there because I, I want to talk a little bit about what sort of like what are the big issues that you're seeing um, sort of in the church. So let's start by talking about that. So from your perspective, both in, you know, your position as a preaching minister now, but also having worked in youth ministry, um, you know, outside of maybe the headlines that we see all the time. Um, what are some of the biggest issues that you see youth in the church today dealing with? Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. I think it it pertains both to adults and to young people. There's sort of the ways in which the culture affects them may be a little bit different, but they're both being influenced by by culture. And so a phrase that I've been using a lot lately is you are what you repeat. Um, and I've really been thinking a lot about spiritual formation and that everyone is being spiritually formed, everyone. Um, the question is, who is forming you and into what sort of person are you being formed? I asked the congregation a couple of weeks ago, do you even want to be the person that you are becoming? Because you are becoming someone. Mm. Uh, and, and a lot of us look at the person we are and the person, the trajectory we're on, the person we're becoming. We don't even like that person. We don't even want to be that person but we're not stopping ourselves from being formed by the practices in which we engage. And so I think that helping people to realize that their practices, whether that's scrolling social media or watching cable news or you know whatever it is that we're doing, it is spiritually formative. Sitting around, you know, I know a lot of retired people that, that watch cable news more hours a day than they would probably like to admit, and that is spiritually formative. I know a lot of young people that spend a lot of time scrolling on TikTok or scrolling on Instagram, and that is spiritually formative. It is shaping the way that we think about ourselves and other people and God, our place in the world, our story. Uh, all of those things are being formed by the things that we do. And so just helping people acknowledge that and realize that. Um, I'm, I'm going to do a youth rally this weekend and talk to teenagers about the fact that most people today see themselves as the main character in a story about them. And as disciples of Jesus, we have to break out of that paradigm and we have to become supporting characters in a story about Jesus rather than the main characters in a story about us, because a story about us is tragic. It's going to end in tragedy, but a story about Jesus ends in victory. And the only way to have that victory is to, to abandon, you know, this, this cultural, um, hyper individualism that that is just fed to us and we're being shaped by 24 hours a day so what is the best way to do that in this sense so i i think about um so i, I as i've mentioned a couple times on the podcast before my my area is communications and marketing i'm you know i'm i'm studying for a master's in advertising right now. And I become increasingly aware, especially because some of the books that I've had to read for my studies that just, just how many messages we're exposed to all the time and constantly. 
And that's been made, I mean, that's been sort of on an increasing trajectory for a long time, but obviously it's accelerated a lot with like social media and cable news and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm wondering to what, so we can, to some extent, limit our exposure to some of those things. I don't need to be on Instagram as much as I am. You know, I don't need to watch TV as much as I do, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but then we're also going to be exposed to some of it anyway. So to what extent should the res our responsibility as Christians be to withdraw from those influences versus how much of it are we, we're just going to be in those situations and we need to just be careful that we're sort of keeping a level head about it and how we do that. One of the ways that this has been something I've been struggling with a little bit recently is I pulled back from social media a lot about, I want to say two years ago. So I probably post on Facebook about once every three months. Um, I post on Instagram probably less than that. I'm still on those things sometimes, but it also occurs to me well, but should I be posting more on those things if that's where everybody is and trying to have a positive influence? So I don't know. That That's sort of a battle I've had within myself. But how do you think about those issues? Yeah, I think I'm doing a class this week on, on exile and being exiles and thinking of ourselves as exiles. And I think like Jeremiah 29 gives us a great framework for thinking about how do we live as exiles in the world? And Jeremiah tells the Babylonian exiles that they are to, to make the city a better place, um, that they're not to isolate themselves into their own segregated community, but that they are to be integrated in some ways into the community to participate in community life. So there's not that isolation, but there's also not a conformity. There's also not an assimilation to the culture so that they become indistinguishable from the people around them. And I think that's that's what we have to resist is that conformity. We can't isolate ourselves, but we can't we also can't become assimilated into the culture. And I think what what you just highlighted that you practice that discernment of of asking those important questions, how much is too much? Um, how how much engagement is too much engagement? How much isolation is too much isolation? Um, I think it's important to recognize that that God wove into the fabric of of Israel the idea of things like Sabbath, where we're practicing that weekly stop and rest and just cease from your work. It was so important. It, it creates this guardrail. And I think if we practice things like that today, we would recognize that, okay, six days a week, I really don't have a whole lot of choice about being bombarded with some some level of messaging. But one mm -hmm. day a week, I'm going to change my inputs. And I'm, I'm only going to, I'm going to be content with what I have. I'm going to rest. I'm not going to look at commercials. I'm not going to want more. I'm not going to chase more. I'm not going to do more. I'm not going to pursue more. I'm just going to be content with what I have and how God has already provided for me and how he will continue to provide for me. And I think that just having those sorts of rhythms of, of rest, rest from work, but also rest from uh, this constant state of just taking in information and in entertainment. Uh, once a week, my phone goes into, uh, Apple allows you to set a special focus on your phone. And so on Saturdays, it switches into what I call Sabbath mode. And um, the, the phone takes on a black and white appearance, like there's no color on my screen, which I absolutely hate looking at it when it's like that. Even maps are hard to use. 
like that. Um, the notifications sort of go away. Even my Apple Watch, it, and I love technology. It it changes so that it's just a picture of my family. It doesn't have the time or my my activity for the day. It doesn't have my schedule, my to-do list, the things that are normally on my watch. Those things go away on Saturday. Just to kind of remind myself that, that I need to, a break from all of the constant bombardment with messages. Because again, those messages, we think of them as being benign, but they're not. They're shaping us. They're telling us, you need this. You need that. You're, you're less than if you don't have this. Um, and our young people are being shaped by this, but so are our older people. We're all being shaped by the, the commercials that we watch and the shows and the, the social media that we scroll through. Yeah, that's that's an absolute great point. You know, so I want to dig a little bit deeper into this um, idea that you were talking about as far as like being exiles. I think that's a really interesting idea. One of the things that it makes me think of too is, um, so, so I'll pitch you sort of an idea that I have and, and see what you think of this and feel free to disagree with me because uh, it's a theory I haven't quite worked out. But I, I reached a point where um, I was observing in sort of very fraught, very controversial um, culture battles that I would see Christians engaged in. Things in which, for the most part, I agreed with the things that Christians were saying as far as, and and I'm thinking about things like things I would be wholeheartedly on their side of. I'm thinking about things like sexuality and gender and the biblical perspective on those, um, abortion, you know, things like that, that like, I don't think are very, um, they're pretty clear cut to me in scripture, but I would also see a lot of anger, um, and, and sometimes even, you know, sort of vitriol in the way that Christians were engaging with this. And I think, and, and, you know, this is maybe a little bit of psychoanalysis and this won't be true of everybody, but I, but this is one of the reasons I pulled back on social media is I was recognizing some of this in myself. And I, and I came to the conclusion that at least for myself, that that was kind of coming from a place that I really wanted a team and I really wanted to see like results from my team doing great stuff. And it, it strikes me that the, the, the older I've gotten and the more I sort of dig into the New Testament, the more I see in the teaching of Jesus and the apostles, the presumption that we will all, that Christians will always be a minority culture. So a passage I quote on here a lot is 2 Timothy 3.12, which says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And it just strikes me that that exile framework might be a better one. It's, it's not, um, resigned it's not defeatist right it's not oh we're never going to win on anything we're never going to have any sort of positive impact and we're walking around sort of moping all the time but it does indicate a different role Uh, and one that i think um and you can speak to this more if you want that seems to echo more uh the expectation of persecution that jesus had and that the apostles had uh, particularly in the early chapters of Acts. I mean, I'm thinking of things like Acts chapter five, um, where the apostles were celebrated that they were being counted worthy to suffer. This is like all through first Peter. And so I'm rambling a little bit now, but I, I just, I'm really struck by that way of thinking about the Christian's role in the modern culture. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I think that that's exactly what we have to do is adopt that sort of posture because I think that what I noticed, because I, I, I noticed the same thing, especially over the last few years, and, and, and I've noticed how there is, uh, I have agreement, like you said, with, with so many of my brothers and sisters on these sort of cultural discussions. I agree with their ethics. I agree with their morals. 
but I don't necessarily agree with their end goal because I don't think the end goal is force other people to live in a Christian culture. Um, you know, we live in a pluralistic nation, like it or not. You know, I'm not mm -hmm. a pluralistic person. I don't think that every path is a path to God. I don't think every path is equally valid. I don't think every life choice is equally good. That That's what a pluralistic person says. But in a pluralistic country or pluralistic nation, we've said it's best if we allow each person to decide for themselves how to live their life for the most part. Now, you know, we can we can say that's good or bad or, or be indifferent, indifferent to that, but that's the way that our culture is. I don't think as Christians, we ought to come in and say, well, like it or not, you have to live as Christians. And we're going to make sure that, uh, that that Christian laws are the law of the land in, in all things and that um, you you have to see things our way because that's a zero sum game. You, if if we if we win, then they lose. If they lose, then we win. And so it's it's that sort of struggle, and we even call it culture warring, and, and we're fighting mm -hmm. for the culture and trying to take the nation back for God. We just don't see that kind of language in the New Testament. In fact, I I think often about First Peter. And Peter's writing to Christians who are kind of shocked that they're being persecuted for following Jesus. Like, hey, I thought we were the winners here. You know, we, we kind of feel like losers because we keep getting uh, pushed out of, of society, pushed out of culture. And he says, you know, don't be surprised by this. The Hebrew writer makes the same argument. In fact, he says, he uses the phrase in chapter 13 that here we have no lasting city. We, we don't have a city here. We have, if we ever find ourselves getting comfortable and feeling like, well, this is home, like this is home and I'm going to make it my home and I'm going to defend my home and I'm going to make sure that it always feels like home. Then we've abandoned that exile ethic. The exile ethic says, listen, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to walk with Jesus. I want you to love Jesus like I love Jesus. I want you to see that Jesus' way is the best way. But I also understand if you reject Jesus and if you reject me, um, because this isn't my home, this isn't my city, this isn't even my nation or my country. My city is to come. We're waiting for the city that is to come, not this current city. And and it's hard. Like there's a there's a ton of tension there. It's uncomfortable. And so the the early Christians and the apostles, especially, emphasize this necessity of being okay with things not being okay, being comfortable with discomfort, being okay with with the fact that this isn't how it's supposed to be, but praise God, it's not how it will always be, that, that there's mm -hmm. a better day coming. And like you said, it's not a defeatist thing. This is, we're victory people, we're people of hope. We know it's gonna get better from here, uh, but we're also okay with, with things not being okay in the present moment because we have our eye on the future as well. Yeah, that's that's really good. I wonder too, what is the key to keeping the the degree of separation that we need in order to do that well, because it's, it's easy. So it's easy for me to um, sit on here on this podcast and talk about how Christians need to be less angry about the things happening in the world. And they need to be, you know, work focused and, you know, focus on helping people making a positive impact where we can, but not getting sort of drawn out into these things. But I have to say, even as a person who says that I find myself getting worked up by the news <laughs> 
um i i'm i'm blessed by uh one, one of the um elders at the the church where i'm at um this is something that he i've he's brought up multiple times recently is like if the news is making you like super angry maybe that's a sign that you need to turn it off right um but but beyond that i'm i'm just uh i, I guess curious for your thoughts here because this is something where you know i talk about this as the ideal on this podcast uh even trying to keep that focus myself i can find myself slipping back into uh you know just an angry and bitterness uh and you know sometimes even a cynicism um at the world around me and sort of how do you keep the true biblical you know hope-filled vision of the future so to speak uh without sort of being drawn into you know a very angry partisan politicking for lack of a better phrase yeah that's such a great question and i and i and i do too i mean we we do and 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 i think part of it is recognizing that that's what that's another one of those messages the the news they, they keep viewership by making sure people are angry. And so they, they're kind of feeding the anger and the outrage. And so that's part of it. But I think part of it too is, is remembering that we're called to love even our enemies. Like we're called to, and so I think, I think fostering and cultivating things like compassion and mercy um, and, and empathy and care, even for the perpetrators that do horrible things and that, that are, warped and and have a, a totally skewed view of the world and themselves and are hurting themselves and hurting other people, trying to cultivate compassion even for those people, not just for the victims of sin, but for the perpetrators of sin, because we recognize that we, if not for the grace of God, we would be exactly that person. It, it's not because of our own righteousness, but because of what he's done for us, recognizing ourself in them and that we would be in the same situation and then trying to to love them and to humanize them and not to dehumanize them so that so that we can if if possible reach them with the the grace and the mercy of god and so i think that that it's hard to be angry at someone and feel compassion towards them at the same time not impossible because i have kids and i know exactly <laughs> that you can do both you can be angry and compassionate at the same time but it's hard you know if i'm actively cultivating compassion towards my children it's harder to fly off the handle at them. When I fly off the handle at them, it's probably because I'm not cultivating compassion and empathy towards them. I'm just saying, you should be this way and you should do this. And how come you're messing this up? And, and I'm not thinking about the fact that, hey, they make mistakes, just like I make mistakes. They're, they're struggling, they're kids, they're trying to figure this out. So just sort of trying to empathize with people and, and show compassion. And I think too, we can't, because I think we we're not fatalistic. We're not saying we can't be salt and light in the world. I think we can make a positive difference in the world. But in order to do that, in order to critique the the current culture and be able to have something to say about, like we were saying earlier about narratives that people believe and have adopted, we have to sort of try to understand where people are coming from. And I think that's the thing that so many of my brothers and sisters just don't understand where these other the other people are coming from and when they talk about gender and sexuality those things seem like such a foreign concept that they're not trying to understand okay let me understand you before i correct you or critique you they're just jumping right to the correction and critiquing rather than trying to understand people and so i think that 
that would go a long way if we would just listen first. Doesn't mean we have to agree. Doesn't mean we have to be affirming. Uh, but mm-hmm. but we can listen and say, what morals are they operating by? What sort of ethics are they operating by? And how are they looking at and perceiving the world? And then once we have a better understanding of that, then we can actually help persuade people towards something better and healthier. So I have uh, a what I think is a good example of this that longtime listeners to the show might might um, be you know mouthing along with me because I've told this story so many times. But when I was in college, there was somebody who was in my uh, the same Spanish class as me, um, who after I mentioned that I was a Christian, um, he wanted to talk to me about it. I was like, okay, here's somebody being you know like forward with it. Here's an opportunity. Well, this is somebody who was an atheist. He had um, previously been a Christian, had lost his faith in seminary dropped out and all this and was, was now very, very much an atheist. And um, so we had like a really long discussion over the course of a couple of hours. And at one point I started um, and and I'll confess, I was, I was um, very clumsy in my (laughs) efforts here at the time, but I, at one point, and I forget the, why I got onto this, but I started railing against Richard Dawkins, who I feel like has kind of declined in popularity a little bit now, but at the time, I mean, this was sort of like at the height of like the um, new atheists, um, things when, you know, Sam Harris was still really popular too as an atheist and all this sort of stuff. And so I, I just started talking about how much I didn't like him. And then um, this guy I was talking with, he said, yeah, I don't like Richard Dawkins either. I think he's a jerk. And I just was like entirely deflated because, you know, I thought all atheists thought the same. They don't all think the same. What do I do with this? Uh, and and yes. so yeah, I, I just I think about that a lot. I think that that's a really, really important um, point is you don't you don't have to agree with somebody in order to listen to them. Um, I mean, you know, I've also you know, I've been in a position to know um, a few different people who were um, drug addicts, um, some recovered, some unfortunately not. Um, but and I have, you know, listening to those people's stories. Uh, some of them come from family backgrounds that um, you just sit there and listen to this and you're like, man, I do not, I do not, obviously people are responsible for their actions, but at the same time, like, I don't know how a kid who has dealt that hand emerges from that, uh, you know, without, you know, at least having some struggles, right? Um, you know, just being surrounded by these things as a child, or in some cases, you know, having been abused as a child and things like that. Uh, and, and I just think that's, you know, that that's a really important um, point is just, and th- the last thing I'll say on this too, is I have increasingly become um, sort of uncomfortable with the phrase culture war. This is something I talked about on the solo episode I did a couple of weeks ago um, here on the show. But the, the thing about war is you're not trying to persuade anybody, right? It's like when you're in the middle of a war, you're not going over to the enemy lines and saying, hey, let me sit down and I'll debate with you, Germany, so that um, I can make sure that you can come over to the British side, right? Like that that's not something you do in war. Um, you're, you know, you're it's out the there to shoot people. Right, exactly. And, and so th- th- that's good because I've been struggling with the replacement phrase. I think what we need is cultural diplomacy, instead of cultural war because when you see the unbeliever sometimes even the you know pretty vociferous and loud unbeliever as the enemy you're not motivated to seek their good and to seek you know what is the best for them and ultimately Jesus is what is the best for them right and it uh, reminds me of 
there's this really good book by um, Rosaria Butterfield called The Gospel Comes with the House Key. Um, and she uh, at uh, earlier in her life was somebody who was um, a very radical, I think, English professor, if I remember correctly. She was in a, a same-sex relationship, very antagonistic to Christianity. And her pathway toward becoming a Christian was that a pastor and his wife, who I think were her neighbors, I might be wrong about that detail. They might have come into contact a different way, but they just like had her over for dinner all the time and listened to her and got to know her. And gradually she came to see, well, you know, these Christians aren't all bad. And then she was in a position to listen. And I think we need, um, you know, I'm not saying don't, don't preach in other ways. You know, I'm not saying don't do door knocking or don't send out mailers, you know, that sort of thing, do all those things too. Um, but the getting to know people in the personal aspect is something that um, I think we have underexplored, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I I love Rosaria's um, uh, story. I mean, it's I mean that's a, a perfect example of the fact that that somebody who didn't try to destroy her with arguments they they mm -hmm. loved her and they loved her into an understanding of Jesus and. And nobody has, I don't know anybody, I don't know anyone who is a Christian today because they got argued into the kingdom of God. Everyone I know who is a Christian, they they came into their understanding of Jesus and into a life of discipleship through loving relationships every single time. Sometimes it was th through their parents, sometimes it was through their spouse, sometimes it was through a neighbor, but it's always through loving relationships. It's never through, hey, let me destroy you until you don't have an argument left. I don't, there, there could be people out there like that, but I certainly don't know any of them. Yeah, and and it too, the, I mean, this is something that I think probably um, most of our listeners can recognize from experience. If you think about things outside of a religious context at all, if somebody's attacking you, or maybe I shouldn't use the word attacking because it's not like physical, you know, but um, if somebody is, you know, um, coming against you very strongly rhetorically, especially if it's in front of people, you have a natural instinctive reaction to dig in your heels and to be defensive, which is one of the reasons why um, if you're going to if you're going to do things like this on social media, it's probably better to do it via um, direct message, than um, you know, sort of on a public platform where everybody's watching. But uh, but yeah, those are um, good things to keep in mind. I want to switch gears a little bit because there are um, a couple of specific things that I've been thinking about in terms of issues in the church that I wanted your thoughts on as somebody who's in a ministry position. So the, the first one is um, uh, biblical literacy. So I've seen a lot of statistics on um, that seem to indicate uh, that knowledge of basic Bible doctrine, and I'm talking about stuff that, you know, most uh, denominations would agree with in terms of like the Trinity of, um, you know, Jesus divinity of um, the atonement, things like that. Um, the, the authority of scripture, like all these things, the people that um, people who will self-identify as Christians, maybe even are by our church going Christians. Um, although it's always kind of difficult to establish what that means in sort of like the survey methodology, but in general, that this has been sort of a problem for the church. Um, are you seeing that where you're at? Do you think it is um, a serious problem? Is it kind of exaggerated? What's your take on that as a problem in the modern church? Yeah, I, I think that we've learned we've learned to read the, read scripture in one of two ways, and and I think it's predominant in different groups, not just different sections of you know quote unquote Christendom, but 
but also within different congregations. Uh, so in some congregations, I see some that read scripture more like uh, a reference book, uh, sort of proof texting their way through. And they ask questions like, what does the Bible say about X, Y, and Z? And they're going with their preconceived uh, presumptuous questions and going to scripture, assuming that scripture says anything to answer that question. And they'll go to scripture to try to find an answer and they will make whatever they find fit their preconceived ideas. And so there's a, a lack of Bible knowledge in that realm because they're, they're not treating the scriptures as a whole story that goes from Genesis to Revelation that teaches us about who Jesus is and invites us to be part of that story. And so there's a lack of Bible knowledge on those that they may know a lot of isolated texts, a, a lot of isolated verses, and they can use those to prove whatever point they want to prove, but their overall knowledge of scripture is very lacking. The, the other type of, of Bible reading is, is devotional style Bible study or Bible reading. And the question there is usually, what do I think about this? Or how do I feel about this? Or what does this reveal to me? And people will just read scripture in order, again, it's a hyper-individualistic way of reading scripture, where they're just reading to, to get something that inspires them for the day, that they can highlight, that they can Instagram or whatever. And again, there's a, a, a great lack of knowledge in the overall themes of, of scripture and, and the lack of knowledge of who God is and, and who Jesus is even, or, or what, uh, what role Jesus is calling us into into the kingdom of God. So yeah, I think that on both ends of the spectrum, there's a lot of Christians that know a handful of stories or a handful of verses, or they have their quote unquote life verse that really resonates with them. But but this holistic knowledge of, of scripture is really lacking what I've seen. So from a church leadership position, how do you go about addressing that? Like, are you doing sermons from the pulpit that are like, here's how we need to read scripture? Um, are, are there you know, certain programs that you're developing, like what, what, how, how do you think about addressing that um, within a local church? Yeah. So three things come to mind. One is I've done a lot of classes uh, where, where that was the emphasis on how to study the Bible. What is the Bible? How do you study the Bible? I, I always uh, kind of tease people that if, if you were going to read uh, the phone book, which we don't even have phone books anymore, but if you were to read the phone book, like you were reading a novel You'd be so confused. And, and what we think the Bible is, the type of genre it is, and that's the whole thing. It, it's not a book. It's 66 books. It's a collection of ancient documents written at a different time, in a different place, in a different language by different people. Um, so understanding what the Bible is and how to study it, we've done a lot of classes on that subject. Uh, another thing that I've tried to do is I've written a book uh, called Beyond the Verse, and the whole idea behind the book was just encouraging people to sit down and read a book of the Bible the way that they would watch a movie in one sitting, if possible, and if not in one sitting, at least in one day. Um, if we only have ingested scripture in five-minute chunks, again, it would be like if I had only ever seen a movie in five-minute chunks. Yes, technically, I could say I've seen that movie, but I didn't really see it the way that the, the director intended for me to see it. He intended mm -hmm. for me to remember the themes from the beginning all the way to the end so that I could see his, his train of thought from, from one part of the story to the next. And scripture is the same way. 
some books of the Bible, that's really hard. It's hard to do that with Genesis. It's hard to do that with some of the, the books of the Torah. But Philippians, Ephesians, you can read those books in, in 15 minutes. And a lot of Christians have never done that. They've never sat down and read Ephesians from the beginning to the end. And so a lot of times I'll just do that. I'll stand up and I'll read a whole book of the Bible. I haven't done that in a few years, but I'll read it. And I always have people come up to me and say, I have never, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that verse in this context. They've heard a, a particular verse from Ephesians a million times, but they never heard it as a part of an entire letter. And we say, you know, if you got a letter from someone, if somebody wrote you a personal letter, you wouldn't say, well, let's start in the middle of that letter. Or even if you went back and reread it, you probably wouldn't start in the middle. You would reread it in its entirety. And I think for the most part, we need to try to do that with scripture. Another thing that I try to do is in my preaching, I try to stick to one, one chapter or maybe sometimes to, a, to one book. I try to stay in the same context in the sermon rather than the way I grew up was just all of these isolated verses being strung together. And when mm -hmm. I started preaching, that's how I preached. I would come up with a topic that I wanted to speak about. I would find five or six or seven or eight verses that I that use that word. <laughs> I would use a concordance and find you know several verses that use that English word. And then I would put together some sort of an outline. But really, that's just me preaching my own ideas and using scripture scripture to prove it or to, to back it up, as opposed to helping people to see this is this book or this is this chapter. Here's what Paul is saying, or here's what Jesus is saying, and here's how it applies to your life. And so I try to preach expository type sermons to sort of plant the seed that we don't use the Bible as if it's a dictionary or an encyclopedia or a phone book. This isn't a reference book. This is a story. And we're being invited into the story. It, is incredibly relevant for our lives, but it's not a reference book that you just go and, and pull a few words out to fit whatever situation you're in. Yeah, that's absolutely right. It's funny that you mentioned using a concordance because I have actually referred to that sort of thing as concordance sermons before. Me too. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it also occurs to me that I I think about pr probably the most infamous case of this is um Jeremiah 29 11 um, in terms of like people take that verse and take it to mean sort of a prosperity gospel type message without appreciating the context. But, you know, I have seen the similar thing uh, in other places. And then sometimes uh, as a surprise to me myself being like, Oh, I, I know that verse, but I didn't realize this was the context. Um, an example, probably a slightly less controversial one, but um, that I was thinking about recently. So we've been going through Acts in our um, Sunday morning class in my local church. And so um, for one of uh, Paul's sermons, uh, uh, I was going through and tracking the um, the Old Testament passages that he's quoting and then looking at the context of those. And so one of those is that he quotes um, when he's talking about the promises of David that are ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. It's, this is in um, Acts 13, I, th I think it was. Uh, and so he quotes from Isaiah 55 talking about that. And I was like, oh, I know that's that's the part of Isaiah that's doing like all the servant stuff that's looking forward to Jesus and the Messiah. Well, I kept reading down there and I found the passage um, for his ways are not our ways. Uh, you know, referring to, and I have heard this passage so many times, just uh, sort of in terms of like, 
Um, well, if so, if a command in the Bible doesn't make sense to you, his ways are not our ways. But what I found when I was looking at that is that that comes right after God says, and by the way, when this new blessed era comes, which we would now understand to be the era of the church, all those pagan nations are going to be able to come to me and ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to forgive mm-hmm. them because I am not a man and my ways are not your ways. And so it's actually a passage about the exceeding grace and forgiveness of God and how he wants Mm -hmm. to even save the evil pagans outside of Israel, which by the way, I am one, I'm not Jewish, I'm a Gentile, right? Uh, And when you see things in that light, I think it, it also, that, that moment, because, you know, this is something that I've said before, and I did not realize that it was true about that specific passage. And it just reminds me of the, there's also a richness um, that we're missing sometimes by only knowing these things in little bite-sized portions. Yeah, absolutely. You taught me something new just now. I mean, that that's, that, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful picture. And you're exactly right. Every time I have and I, I always assumed that the apostles used Old Testament scriptures sort of proof texty, you know, like that they were pulling these things out of context and using them and kind of, and I would always justify it and say, well, they're apostles, like they could do that. I can't do that. But mm-hmm. the more I actually try to understand what's the overall picture of this book of Jeremiah or Isaiah, whatever prophet they're drawing from or a psalm. And look at the overall context. It's always amazing to say, oh, more to that connection. There's actually more to that connection than I realized that there was initially in just a, a surface level reading. Yeah, absolutely. So I, w- I want to ask you too, there's, um, uh, man, there's, there's so much I'd love to ask you, but you know, um, <laughs> we, we both only have so much time. Um, so uh, something else that I wanted to um, ask you about is, um, so one of the things that we try to focus on here is effectively seeing and taking advantage of opportunities to share the gospel or to have spiritual conversation with our friends and neighbors. We touched on that some earlier when we were talking about, um, you know, trying to understand where people are coming from and having compassion for people and that a lot of times opportunities come from personal relationships. So I wanted to ask you for people who might be in our audience Uh, And I know that there are some who have people close to them who are not Christians and they want to be able to start having conversations with them, but, you know, they don't necessarily feel that they're not natural, uh, great communicators, right? Like they, they don't teach for a profession. They don't preach for a profession. Um, You know, maybe they don't even do public speaking for work or anything like that. Um, What's your advice as far as someone comes to you and says, Wes, I really want to get better at starting conversations about the gospel, and I just don't know how to sort of take the plunge. What's your advice for them? I think one is dismantling the idea that there's a cookie cutter approach that works for evangelism, that that here's, here's the process to take people through. People have always been unique, but I think especially now, there's there's no telling what people think. So if your friend says, I'm I'm this or I'm that, or I my religion is this, that, or the other, it like you said, your atheist friend didn't like Dawkins. So there's there's no telling where somebody's coming from. If somebody says they're an atheist and you assume that that means they have a philosophical objection to Christianity, that may not be true. They may have an, an emotional 
objection to Christianity. They may say, well, my, my dad died and I prayed for him. And after he died, I rejected my faith. Um, or it may be more of a scientific objection to Christianity. So just listening to people goes a long way and not, not thinking that there's one a one-size-fits-all approach to it. Another thing that I would say is that it helps to posture ourselves as fellow learners, as opposed to posturing ourselves as a mm. teacher that says, hey, let me teach you about Jesus. If we approach them and say, hey, I'm a student of Jesus too. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out. I haven't got it all figured out. I'm trying to, I like the word apprentice. I'm trying to be an apprentice of Jesus. I'd love to share with you some of the things that I've learned, but I'd also like to hear about your journey and I'd like to hear about your struggles. And so just posturing ourselves as fellow travelers or fellow students, I think goes a long way in helping people to realize this person isn't trying to straighten me out or, you know, uh, just uh, knock me over the head. This person just wants to walk beside me. And, and I think too, being okay, if somebody doesn't, isn't really interested in being a disciple. I have a, a, a friend who uh, is a Christian now, but he grew up as a Muslim and he talked to me about reaching Muslims in our community. And one of the things that he said was, you need to make friends with people and be okay with being their friend, even if they never decide to be a Christian. And, mm -hmm. and we have to not see people as a project and see people as our friends. And so make friends with them. And you're going to gain a great deal out of being friends with other human beings. Hopefully, they'll want to follow Jesus with you. But even if they don't, you're still going to be benefited. And so are they by a friendship with one another. Yeah. I, I think that's very well, very well stated. Uh, I, I think I'm thinking back now to um, one of the things that I think we need to be wary of. And this and this is I don't know to what extent this is still uh, a philosophy that you hear a lot. This is something I haven't heard a lot, but I heard when I was um, a kid, which is if somebody is not interested in becoming a Christian, sort of what are you doing still talking to them? Right. And mm. um and like I said, I haven't heard that now for a while, but I did hear that um, from the pulpit when I was a kid. Uh, and that's something that I've realized, you know, sort of there are two things there. One is we ought to have a care and concern for people as image bearers, not as, uh, you know, potential numbers for attendance on Sunday morning. And I think that requires, or at least should require, us being genuinely interested in them as a person. And that both means that that's going to exist even if they are not immediately receptive. But also sometimes it just takes a long time, right? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking about there's somebody who goes to, um, uh, who's at the same church as my dad, um, that uh, his wife was um, ultimately his, um, he was not a Christian when they got married, but they were married for 20 years before he became a Christian. And yeah. now he is one by the grace of God. He's very passionate. Um, you know, he's a great guy working hard for the Lord. I always really enjoy talking to him. Uh, but, you know, it took 20 years. Uh, sometimes it just takes some time. Uh, and, uh, you know, we need to try and emulate the patience of the Lord to the greatest extent that we can. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I think sometimes people use as sort of a proof text for cutting people off is the idea of Jesus saying, shake the dust off of your feet. Again, ignoring the context that Jesus is sending the apostles out on the limited commission. This isn't the Great Commission. It's the limited commission. We're sending them to the Jewish people. And time is of the essence. 
And, and they were apostles and shaking the dust off their feet was this sign of condemnation against these Jewish people who should have been receptive to the message of the Messiah. We're in a totally different context today. And if you are friends with someone for 20 years or 30 years, or if you're friends with somebody for a decade and then they leave and someone else is able to harvest the, the seeds that you planted, praise be to God. So yeah, absolutely. Continue to cultivate friendships with people, just trusting God that, that he can bring good from the situation, whether you can see it or not. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Wes, I think that's a good place to end. These are good thoughts um, to round people out and hopefully gives people some encouragement and motivation to continue um, the good path and to be seeking opportunities to share the gospel with others. I want to remind um, everybody listening, we are more than just a podcast. So if you want to check out um, the uh, all the great video content that Nate is making on our YouTube channel, including the new series, I'm a Christian, Now What? There's a second episode of that now that um, Nate's doing with our friend um, Chuck Williams. So I encourage you to check that out, to rate and v- review the podcast, um, wherever you're getting this podcast from. And until next time, we will say goodbye. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Polly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.